We will wander the stairs for hours. We will forget our scars and our stains. The leaves will be red as remembered blood. The sea will be black as memory. I rem. I rem. We will not leave. We must leave. Consumption log zero, one, zero. Sunless sea, darkest dungeon, and why can't video game developers seem to hire any good writers? Hey everybody, welcome to the Actual Garbage Podcast, Consumption Log Bebo Bop. Uh, I'm your host, David Paddock. Across from me, in virtual reality, is Thomas Hightower. Hello, hello. It's just the two of us again, and uh, before you start to believe that Thomas is a figment of my imagination who only shows up when other people aren't around. Uh, we did have a podcast with Ryan Riley on the subject we're going to discuss today, but through a fantastic combination of stupid events. It's sort of an inverse miracle, really. Yeah. Um, we don't have that podcast anymore. So instead, we're going to do a slapdash recap, which will hopefully be even better than the original podcast now that we sort of have our thoughts in order on it. Um, Fingers crossed. Yeah, uh, we're going to discuss, and we'll, we're going to tack on a couple of other subjects as well that we wanted to see as addenda, but the primary purpose of this is to cover two games that sound very similar um, until you get down into them, and those are Sunless Sea and Darkest Dungeon. Uh, yep. Thomas, you are an unapologetic fan of Sunless Sea in particular and Fallen London in general, which is yeah. the oeuvre of Sunless Sea, and Darkest Dungeon struck you in sort of the same way with its writing, and in particular, we're going to discuss writing in video games, because that is sort of what sets these games apart from most others, and yeah. with that, I will uh, I will let you explain. All right, so do we want to start with Sunless Sea or Darkest Dungeon, or... Um, we could, I mean, we kind of know which one's going to take longer, so yeah. do we want to start with the short one or the long one? I... I, I think we should probably start with, with Darkest Dungeon, or maybe we could just talk about like the similarities between the two of them first. That might be a good idea. Okay. Uh, all right, so, yeah. Um, so, Soundless Sea and Darkest Dungeon uh, are both uh, games that uh, sort of like draw a lot of their inspiration uh, from uh, sort of like Lovecraftian fiction, though Sunless Sea's inspiration is a bit broader than that. Um, notably broader than that, actually. Um Sunless Sea, uh, and well, they're actually both like roguelikes, technically. Um, yes, uh, they are. They are both games in which the world changes from playthrough to playthrough, and yeah. loss is endemic. Yeah, uh, in Sunless Sea, you play uh, the captain of a Z-faring ship um, uh, underneath the Earth. Uh, London has fallen. Uh, and uh, it has apparently fallen on top of the remains of the last city that fell. Uh, so what you're tasked with doing is, well, not much of anything in particular, but you have the ship uh, and you can explore uh, all of the sea to the east. Uh, and it, it turns out that the world underneath the earth is uh, markedly stranger uh, than the world of the surface. Uh, and... Uh, is actually markedly stranger than you're lent to anticipate with these kinds of games. Uh, Darkest Dungeon, uh, by comparison, is a roguelike party management game where uh, you're tasked with 
sort of fixing your ancestor's mistake. Uh, he's uh, brought ruin to the household by opening up some sort of gateway or something that has left a terrible uh, Lovecraftian monstrosity in. Uh, and the game basically centers around launching foray after foray into the handful of locations of the estate uh, with hired on mercenaries. Uh, those mercenaries uh, can die in like the normal RPG way. Uh, they can also go mad, uh, which doesn't necessarily remove them from the game right away. But if a character's stress level gets to a certain point, uh, a perfectly winning scenario can uh, turn into a disaster where you lose every single member of your party. It escalates pretty rapidly. It yeah. has it has a, a feel much like games if those listening are familiar with the board game Pandemic, where it will seem as though everything is going fine, and then suddenly one thing will go awry, and that will cause a chain reaction that causes everything to go out of control. That's Darkest yep. Dungeon. Um, you, you feel like you're doing fine until you're not, and as a result, the game is very intense. It builds in a it builds in a way that uh, that allows for these moments where instead of having these moments of breaking through, and occasionally you have those. A lot of the moments in Darkest Dungeon are about things going sideways instantly, yeah, uh, in satisfying and fun ways. Uh, and thankfully, you don't lose too much in the process. Although it does, uh, I mean, it depends on what you're willing to risk, right? Yeah. Uh, so the the characters like go from level one to I believe six. Uh, and the issue is, is that you can't use high-level characters to run low-level uh, quests. Uh, there's a cutoff point at third level, and there's another cutoff point at fifth level. Uh, and so what that means is that uh, your characters are always in like this sort of like constant state of risk, um, which winds up being really nerve-wracking when you're running the higher-level dungeons because the dungeons get much harder uh, than your party gets strong. Uh so there's a decent chance that you're going to lose, like, what could be four hours of work, let's say. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, like there's, there's a significant amount of lo <laughs> the loss in it, the game can be fairly significant as you go along in it. But you are expected yeah. to cycle through teams. It's a lot. The other game to compare it to, obviously, would be XCOM. Um, yeah. XCOM a team where you build up uh, a team of soldiers and they gain experience and they die inevitably through horribly unfair consequences, which this game is full of, um, yeah. which contributes uh, a lot to the, the feeling of darkness that pervades the game. And Sunless Sea has this to a lesser extent. Sunless Sea isn't quite as unfair as Darkest Dungeon a lot of the time. Usually mm -hmm. when things happen in Sunless Sea that, that screw you over, you can kind of see them coming. Um, yeah. if, if you hold on to enough supplies and enough fuel, generally speaking, you'll be okay. By my fourth captain, like I, I didn't die unless I was going into something that I was specifically like kind of choosing to die. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. My uh, my most recent run in Sunless Sea, my captain was all but invincible right up until I decided to go into whatever the there's a there's a dungeon that you carry Foxfire candles into. Oh, and you need that's, them. Yeah, uh, that's uh, that's where the uh, those uh, pirate monks are, right? What's what's the name of that? Uh, like it's it's the roof fall place, right? Where you have that monastery, and there's also like, uh, yeah, it's where the uh, it's where that chunk of the roof fell into the water. 
Yes. Yeah. And you need uh, candles to go in and out. And I forgot that you need candles to go out, and that ended very poorly. <laughs> um, but along the way in Sunless Sea, as I suggested, because the game's more forgiving, though Darkest Dungeon does have very good writing, the writing does just add a tremendous amount of flavor. It's not the game itself the way it is yeah. in Sunless Sea. In Sunless Sea, you are adventuring for the story, and though it's a hook in Darkest Dungeon, and it's a decent one, I mean, they, they yeah. do a very good jo job contextualizing what you do and showing you the the failure of your ancestor as a modest human being. Yeah. Um, the uh, In Sunless Sea, you really are, you are adrift in a sea of stories that you uh, you encounter and you vaguely but don't truly impact, except in a couple of really specific ways. Yeah, you, you, uh, you are mostly meandering through the world and observing it. Yeah, in Sunless Sea, you can't really be said to be a protagonist. Really, you're 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 just kind of a jerk off with a boat, um, and you can choose to get like tangled into things, but like those things are going to like sort of happen with or without you. Um, yeah. With the exception of Pigmode Island. Yeah, with the exception of Pigmode Island. That's like the one place where you can really make a difference and there's not there's not really a right choice. <laughs> well, yeah, and it's and that's guinea pigs and rats anyway. So Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, Sunless Sea is a is a game that uh, uh, unlike most other like sort of roguelikes and most like other like uh, like even like most indie games, uh, it is entirely about the story uh, to the point where, like, the story, like, is part of the gameplay mechanics. Um, you don't really, like, pick up uh, qualities that are really distinguished from your inventory. Um, and what's a good example of this? Uh, so, like, you collect stories. You you literally collect stories. So they're, they're enumerated and they're, they're not described. You have a bunch of, like, you, you can barter off sea stories and tales of dread, uh, as currency. Things. Yeah, as currency. Uh, and in Fall of London, it's even uh, more uh, overt, where, like, uh, whispered hints are, like, a legitimate form of currency uh, and a more reliable form of currency than, like, pennies. Um, yeah, in, in Sunless Sea, there is an almost obsession with the way that it inventories everything in the world, the yep. game is very, very, um, the game, it's not opaque. It's super transparent about yep. its systems. When you run into someone and they reveal something, you don't end up with a quest in your journal that says, you know, uh, that you learned something weird today. You may, but yep. most of the time it will be that you picked up a searing yep. enigma yeah. Or a profound implication. like, And it will say that you have received one X searing yeah. enigma. Like they have, they have fully, there is a concretion of these what would otherwise be basically fetch quests in most other games. Because these things are interchangeable. And I like that. I like that about it. Where even though, you know, like moves in the great game. Like there's no distinction between the moves in the great game. There's just... Yeah, there are a bunch of them and you can collect them and they can be used for a variety of purposes. Like multiple people have an interest in pursuing these goals, the Admiralty for one, the Conate and the there's just there's a bunch of different factions and you can play them off each other, but not in terribly meaningful ways. Like we set up at the top, these are all 
forces that seem like they will be around in a semi-permanence that you can't really impact. The best you can really aspire to be is a uh, cat's paw. Um, I mean, like if you have a if you have a captain that lives long enough, like you can like your captain has done like enough things that like you can believe that they're a legend, but they're a legend that somebody else is telling, right? Like that's yeah. that's like the, the sort of feel that you get from it is that like like my last captain, uh, I think I named her either Scythia or Parthia, uh, was just like this like terrifying like blood soaked like pirate cannibal, um, uh, who. Cannibal may sound bad, but within the context of Sunless Sea, it's uh, it's something you stumble into, and there are no obvious negative consequences for. It's completely a moral choice on your part not to be a cannibal in this game. Yeah, and like the thing is, is that like it, it sure you you want to call it a moral choice, but like it's way better to be a cannibal. Uh, oh you, well, no! In, in surely <laughs> practical terms, yes, it makes sense to be unaccountably peckish, preferably as as unaccountably peckish as you can be, which, uh, it goes up to level five, I believe. Yeah. And like, uh, like, and with, with unaccountably peckish, like that's a, it's, that's a really like sort of good example of like the sort of like way that, uh, the supernatural works in the game, uh, where you don't get tutelage, uh, like by being cannibal. It's not like other cannibals hang out with you and say, Hey, check out this thing. Um, it's just that the more, uh, unaccountably peckish that you get, uh, the more accustomed you get to eating people, the more you just kind of know. Like, there are a lot of places on, like, different islands where, like, you see something that you know by virtue of the fact that you have eaten humans. Um, and, like, that's that's kind of the way that, like, most of, like, the supernatural and Sunless Sea works, is that uh, there are things going on behind the scenes and everybody generally kind of knows about them, but you have to go through fairly extreme lengths to like actually find out anything specific. So like there's a there's a there's a chapel in, in Vinderbite uh, that is associated with someone known as the Drowned Man or the Starved Man, uh, and there's not like a clear indication as to who this is, but if you have uh, enough unaccountably peckish you can pray in a certain way without really understanding what you're doing uh and that kind of reveals some sort of meaning there um and that's kind of the way that that, that all of like the fallen london setting is uh for instance nobody um nobody in the neath dies readily um the neath uh, being this underground territory that yeah. the game takes place in yeah uh People just get roughed up to the point where they have to kind of like retire and or like move to like what's effectively a, a leper colony, and these are called the tomb colonies, like Vendor Bite. Um, uh, people can still die, but it just takes a lot longer, and there's no explanation for it at all. Uh, one of the main plot lines in Fallen London is figuring out why it is that nobody dies, um, and the way that it's expressed is that you get something called approaching the gates of the garden uh, and your quality keeps going up. Uh, and the image for approaching the gates of the garden is a skull. So like the first time that you get it is just the most horrifying experience. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and yeah, that's like the, the sort of, that's like the way that it's set up and the language does 
a lot to commend this game. Uh, like, the, I don't think they would be able to tell this particular story uh, if the language wasn't as solid as it is. Um, yeah, no, it is It is an absolute requirement for a game that is attempting to be charming while having the, not it, I keep wanting to say Eldritch, but that's not quite right. It's, um, but the two, the two versions of lore that you run into when we're talking about fantasy, uh, they tend to be either Tolkien-esque or Lovecraftian, and then yeah. there are differentiations between those, and the difference between the two is the difference between an additive and a subtractive process, where the Tolkien universe is essentially an addition to our universe. It's our world with yep. more races, more magic, more dragons. Whereas yep. the Lovecraftian world is subtractive, where it it's everything that we have is a veneer, and all you're doing is peeling back the veneer and seeing that there are things under what we are already aware of. In, and in both games both Darkest Dungeon and Sunless Sea, you are literally in the area underneath the world. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and, like, that's a... But, like, the thing is, is, like, the difference between Sunless Sea and, Dark, and Darkest Dungeon is that the area beneath the world is awful, but, like, it's actually wonderful, too. Right? Like, you, you have, oh, yeah. like... Like, you have, like, the Elder Continent, right? Uh, that's populated by people who really don't die. Like, they live for thousands and thousands of years and do not decay. Uh, they're referred to as the Presbyterate. And it's mysterious as to why this is the case, but it's fantastic. Uh, <laughs> and, like, that's that's kind of, like, how, like, a lot of, like, uh, Sunless Sea works out is that, like, you know, like, you have opportunities to return to the surface, um, uh, specifically through the uh, Cuman Canal or Cumaean Canal. Uh, where you can visit like a handful of like major cities in Europe, um, and the sun, like the surface world, doesn't want you anymore. Uh, the people living there do not believe anything that you say. Uh, like they, they, they think that you're you must be like this awful liar. And also, you get hurt by the sun now. Uh, though at the same time, you also get addicted to the sun. Uh, which can wind up being really terrible. Uh, and and as, as another example of the language, that's not, you know, it, that's not called vulnerability to the sun. It's called yeah. like yearning burning. Yeah, yearning, comma, burning. Uh, <laughs> it's the name of your addiction to the sun. And that's, again, like unaccountably peckish. It's, yep. it's just, it's so powerfully implied what it means, as opposed yep. to saying it outright, which I really like throughout that game. Yeah, uh, and uh, and yeah, and like the the cosmology of it is is sort of Lovecraftian, but a lot of the revelations are not terrible. Uh, for instance, you can you can sail off the eastern edge of the map, uh, and what you wind up being in is something that is absolutely bizarre, but not menacing necessarily, right? Like, like basically, like you you sail off the edge of the map, and you can just keep sailing for all eternity. And time doesn't mean anything anymore, and distance doesn't mean anything anymore. Um, the only difference is that you keep sailing, and you get closer and closer and closer to this green sun that lies beneath the waves. Um, and like, eventually, you return to a place called Irem, which is a, a, a city, sort of. Uh, 
we're uh, it's described as uh, uh, the like the ending line to like the narration is we will we will have no choice but to turn back to Irim where the world becomes real. And that says something really significant about the idea that this world is a veneer, which is that what's lying underneath is not necessarily something terrible. It's just something that's really hard to describe. Uh, and I, I think that winds up making Sunless Sea like an actually quite beautiful game um, where there is this promise. I mean, like after I had uh, after I had sort of like uh, played through a lot of it, like I became fascinated by like the mildew growing underneath my bath mat because <laughs> like I was because, I, you know, like I, I suddenly like had this like conception of like, you know, like this like entire like little world. Uh, that had been going on beneath me this entire time, and I had no idea. Well, and the the result of Sunless Sea taking place in an archipelago is very, very useful in uh, in a variety of ways because Fallen London is built underneath Sunless Sea. Sunless yep. Sea is written by a lot of people, and yep. as a result they need a way to allow people to not merely just copy edit each other's work, but to provide their own stories. And thankfully, Sunless Sea's lore, or Fallen London's lore, is extensive enough that anyone can build into its extended universe. It's a lot like the old Star Wars that way, where you yeah. can just, you can attach notes. And as long as people's flavor is appropriate, you can add more. And in Sunless Sea, between playthroughs with different captains, you get... Um, a different map, a slightly different map every time yeah. where the islands shift around a little bit as if they are the dreamlike thing that they already would appear to be to any real human being. Well, there's actually there's actually a word for it in the setting. It's called an alteration. Uh, like there's there's uh, like like that's that's a that's a thing that like it's reported sometimes in the post uh, inaccurately is that the sea has undergone another alteration. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that and that allows them that gives them a really convenient and I, I will admit that this was probably a matter of convenience first, but it plays perfectly into the setting that this game can be loaded with stories and they even add stories as time goes on. The updates yeah. to Sunless Sea have consistently added some very entertaining storylines to it, but the every island even though there are people on those islands that are aware of the rest of the world they are only they they do a good job of feeling solitary most of yep. the time. They stand by themselves, and they are all little things that you can go by and collect Z stories. Which Z for those who haven't played the game, Z E E is yep. their silly way of spelling the word C. It's they're they're just referring to people whose uh, zail on the C are, are on the Z are referred to as zailers. As zailers, uh, yes. And there's even in Fallen London, there's even like a. a like a, a little like mini note at some point where you notice that somebody uh, said Z rather than C. And so you're like, oh, so you've been sailing then. Uh, <laughs> and you can pick it out because he's got the accent of a sailor. Um, That's pretty silly. Yeah, it's it's goofy <laughs> as hell. Uh, yeah. But yeah, the, game, the, uh, the game is full of that stuff. I mean, this this is like you said, it's not strictly Lovecrafty, and it's only that's that's the most superficial way to describe what it is. But yeah. it does have the feeling of that. There's a lot of the, 
I guess what would be these? I wanted to use the word dread, but it's not even necessarily the word dread. I guess maybe it is the loneliness. It is sort of the fact that you are you are floating in a world that that has meanings that are not readily apparent that don't yeah. prescribe to not merely to reality, but even to themselves. I mean, there's the writing as a result of it not being perfectly cohesive actually works to the game's advantage because it makes different areas that much more diverse in their design. Though, to their credit, uh, though not perfectly cohesive, the writing is all fantastic in this game. It is worth sailing around looking for these stories to plot along. And even some of the simplest, some of the simplest stuff demonstrates this, like, uh, Station Station Three. Oh yeah. You may assume a Station Two, and you may conjecture a Station Four is the description for Station Three. Yeah. Which is where you deliver the long boxes in exchange for heart metal and other things. But uh, yeah, but like I mean, like it takes forever to like uh uh yeah. But okay, so like and like here's another thing. So so Irem is supposed to be like this city where like time and space break down, uh, and. Uh, this is the description for it. And like the thing is, I, I remember like I remember plenty of attempts to like describe like an Eldritch location in other games. Uh, this is the best description of this kind of thing. And it makes Irem from, you know, like this sort of like goofy genre like sci-fi jaunt to something that is like legitimately beautiful. Uh, Irem, the pillared city. She will rise from the Z like the ice uh, and the ice like dawn. She will be garlanded with red and decked with gold. The seven serpent will watch you longingly from its high pedestal. You will always arrive as a stranger, but when you leave, some part of you will always remain. That suggests like just like this like sort of like really beautiful like eternal tapestry. And it makes Irem important uh, rather than just strange, uh, because it makes uh, it makes it as like this sort of like linchpin uh, in in the world. And I think that's like something that like a lot of other games kind of fail to do. I mean, one of the uh, and like I, some of it's just that they're that they're not terribly interested in it. But like you know, like my go-to example of. Uh, of uh, solid game writing that other people do is uh, uh, Dragon Age. Um, and in Dragon Age, like, you have, like, the Black City, which is, like, one of the most interesting things in Dragon Age, um, where uh, it's sort of like this burnt-out husk where God used to live in the Fade or the spirit world. Um, and it's always visible, but you can never approach it. And that's a really interesting idea, but they don't do anything with it, so it winds up kind of being relegated to like a set piece. It becomes a curiosity of flavor in the yeah. world. And to yeah. be fair, a lot in a lot in Sunless Sea does behave that way. But there is one of the nice things about it, and we the first time we did this, we sort of sussed out a reason why a reason why this might be the case. I tend to hate lore. Yeah. I I think it's why I don't like a lot of superhero things is why I don't like comic books certainly is that they feel the need to explain everything everything needs a purpose and I find that to be unnecessary a lot of the time I'm okay filling in the blanks for myself but in this game it would seem that that would be problematic and yet it's not I don't have a problem with the way Sunless Sea does it but I think it's because Sunless Sea to a large extent 
does it from the ground up. It doesn't feel, it feels like the stories have emerged from what is already in place. Yeah. And you can get that from Sunless Sea because unlike in a Mass Effect where there's a codex that gradually unveils what's going on, information is precious in this game. Yeah. Like you, um, people don't readily tell you what's going on and there's no obvious without, you know, resorting to wikis, there's no way to know with any certainty exactly what any one thing is doing. It's all revealed in a very piecemeal fashion. Yeah. And it's it's a good enough slow drip that it didn't bother me. Um, and yet it does have that full design. I mean, Thomas, you've played a hell of a lot more of the game in addition mm-hmm. to Fallen London. Um, and you, you were saying, I, it, there isn't a ton of actual mystery to the way everything works. The game just doesn't readily give it to you. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, the, the way that it works is that, like, the background is, and, like, what's going on under the surface is so extensive and so complex and interrelated um, that uh, you can know of plenty of things but not know why they're happening. Uh and the thing about that, and you don't necessarily know what the implications of it are. And the thing is, is that, like, the game sort of, like, reliably shows that there are reasons for things. Um, uh, like, for instance, like, you know that uh, you know that London fell. Uh, you know that it's referred to as the fifth city. Um, which means that there were four other cities before it. And we know that the fourth city is probably Karakorum, uh, the uh, capital of the Mongol Empire. Um, and the Mongols are still around. Uh, they're referred to as the Khanate. Um, uh, but, for instance, there's a currency called First City Coins, which have, like, pictures of cedar trees on them. And they're very important to, like, a particular plot line uh, in fallen London. Uh, but you don't know what the first city is. You have hints Cedars, which means that it's probably somewhere in, like, near Middle East, like, around, like, maybe Lebanon. Possibly. And the way it's structured says that there is an answer. It's not made up, right? But you don't know what it is exactly, and it kind of, like, is a really solid driver for, like, pushing you to find out more and more and more and more. Uh, And, like, that's kind of like the main quality of the game is that the writing is so solid uh, that it can deliver the import of these mysteries uh, reliably. Um, and with Sun the Sea, like, it's, it's kind of hard to compare it to other games uh, because it's entirely based off of stories. Uh, with Darkest Dungeon, however, Darkest Dungeon tries to tell a Lovecraftian story, uh, and it does it much better than other Lovecraftian stories. Um because of its writing. And, like, again, that's kind of, like, the idea behind, like, this podcast episode. Yeah, is why the hell can't people manage to pull this off? I mean, a lot of the time, the explanation ends up being the reward. I found that to be almost entirely not the case in Sunless Sea. I, the, what, I was, what I was sort of getting at with, with uh, it being built from the ground up and the story sitting on top of that is the... Um, though I wanted to know more... Mm-hmm. That wasn't the the goal. I I enjoyed the journey much more. Like yeah. it was it was sufficient even with 
poor gameplay, which Sunless Sea has. Sunless Sea's gameplay is not great. You spend it's... most of your time plugging around on a 2D map, which, though very pretty and very evocative, uh, is damn slow. Yeah, um, it's uh, the first like uh, the first like God, I don't know, maybe like four hours of the game, maybe like two hours of the game are fairly slow just because you don't have like a good enough engine. Yeah. Uh, uh, pro tip: when you start playing Sunless Sea, uh, go to the salt lines a couple times. They're somewhere near the middle of the map. Get some, generally, get yeah. some, uh, get some salt, some stone back and forth, and buy yourself a big engine. Um, yeah. You can radically improve your gaming experience. I, and I do, I do think that is, to some extent, a flaw in the game's design. But it's not enough to d- warn against. It's, it's just something to be aware of. Yeah. Um, but even so, it's not as if, you know, in Mass Effect, a lot of people play the game for the story. And Mass Effect's a poor example, because even though the dialogue isn't necessarily as good rhetorically as it is, it is well-written, at least. Yeah. And the characters are are real. Uh, but in most games, the story is there as a second-rate hook behind the gameplay. Yeah, it's it's the... Uh, I My... The the way that the way that like I've like the way that I've like kind of like conceived of this issue is that the most video games rely on uh, first they rely on gameplay, but then after that, in terms of like selling the world, they there are two things that they lean on, uh, which is plot, which is the actual things that happen, uh, and characters, right? Uh, so you write characters that people want to like and see, um, and you have events that feel important. Right. But like the thing is, is that without solid writing, I don't like after a certain point, I'm not quite grasping and I can't quite conceive of like the enormity of what's going on. Yeah, it it feels forced. It's it's the the problem that every blockbuster franchise runs into where you have to raise the stakes. Yeah. As if that's the only option for for making the story more impactful the next time. Yeah. Um, even though that's not necessarily true <laughs> as a game like Sunless Sea. I mean, there are portentous things in Sunless Sea. There are real serious issues at hand in Sunless Sea. The Dawn Machine, for one. Is, um, yeah, no, there, like, there are like a number of islands that are legitimately terrifying. Uh, but that's, uh, that, they aren't the focus of the game. They are merely another element of the game. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, and like, and like a lot of them kind of like spell ruin, but like others, like you know, it's like it's like a lot of hazards in real life. You know, it's terrible if you bump into it, like King Eater Castle. Uh, King Eater Castle is just the worst place in any game I've 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 visited. <laughs> like it's like like you can write a port report on it, and the port report just says everything is horrible. Um, yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, and like that, but like yeah. So there, there are big like important things. But like I think on some level, one of the problems with lore in games is that all of the lore has to be funneled into a plot that serves the protagonist, right? Like and like that's the same problem with like a lot of like a superhero comic books too, right? Well, it's the chosen one syndrome. Yeah, and right. like that that winds up crippling the lore in a way. Right, like we're like the lore can't be this big lush thing. Um, well, it forces it into it. It inevitably leads to Campbell's monomyth. 
yeah. it, it forces it into that story progression. I mean, say what you will about the hero with a thousand faces. When you tell a story with a protagonist, it really does fall into a relatively limited number of archetypes yeah. in, in terms of its progression that makes the story interesting, tense, and, you know, keeps us engaged. Where in, if you let Sunless Sea have the rope, just a little yeah. bit of the rope, and Darkest Dungeon as well, I don't want to leave it out necessarily, even though it doesn't, it, there's just, there's simply not the quantity, um, and to some extent the quality in Sunless Sea. But if you give Sunless Sea the rope just a little bit, and relegate yourself to a mere captain on the Z, um, it opens up a lot of threads that are otherwise unavailable to most video games. Yeah. And Sunless Sea explores quite a few of them. And even Darkest Dungeon, like I said, it it absolutely does. There is a dread. There is the Darkest Dungeon. Like, yeah. that is technically the end of Darkest Dungeon, but... Um, and as part of my, uh, my recommendation for Darkest Dungeon, I'm done playing both of these games, and I never actually saw... The Darkest Dungeon in Darkest Dungeon. I finished my playthrough of the game before that even happened, which, granted, that that is a fault of the game in some measure because there is, though the gameplay is very good for many hours, the, the team composition, the assigning of trinkets and abilities, there are a lot of ways. As far as building a team goes, this is one of the best roguelikes I have ever played. It's probably one of like the deepest uh, like games in terms of strategy that I've played uh, but, of this type. But that's still only good for about sixteen hours, and then it just starts. It starts to get threadbare because you just start running into the same. The enemies are merely stronger; they're not that much more different at higher levels. There's a lot of things going against it, and that's not that's not that is a knock against the game. But it is still absolutely worth playing, even without the darkest dungeon, because. What's going on up to that point in terms of the gameplay and what you hear of the writing, what you hear of what the old man has done, yeah. you know, what he did is extremely fucked up, but it's not, it's not dreadful or foreboding. It's just kind of gross. Like he's yeah. exploiting, yeah, yeah. he's exploiting these horrors for either his own entertainment or convenience. And hearing about that is very entertaining, but he's not the protagonist. It's, it's, it's kind of a comedy of errors that just has awful implications, right? Yeah. Like, that's the, like, 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 so he, he just, so the backstory is that your ancestor who rules this estate, uh, like, winds up falling into decadence um, and starts digging underneath the estate because, like, he keeps finding these books that are really compelling and so on and so forth. What, what and does he say? He's bored with extravagance? Something to that I, effect. I think if, if you do nothing else with Darkest Dungeon, watch the intro. Yeah. Uh, the intro video of that is fabulous. It is probably, like, the best trailer I've seen just about. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, and so... So, like, you, you, you wind up getting to, like, find out more and more about, like, his descent into decadence uh, and, like, his descent into madness. Um, uh, and, like, the sort of, like, process of, like, uh, how he managed to create this awful place. Um, but it only happens when you beat a boss. Uh, and there are eight bosses that you can beat three times. Uh, and in the interim, there's... A lot of slogging. Yes, um, there is. 
yeah, this this game this game was padded out. Unfortunately, uh, it takes a little too long to get most of the dialogue. And again, thankfully, for the first bunch of hours, you will be inundated with options that are very interesting, and you'll be way too stressed out to be worried about missing the story. Yeah. Um, but it is it it is a little problematic. To be fair, though, I I find the game perfectly complete without having beat the darkest dungeon. I've played a lot of video games. And I feel like I can say with some authority that video game endings suck. Like, the number of games with good endings, very, very low. Uh, For whatever reason, whether it's directorial or budget-oriented or something, video games just don't tend to wrap up very well. The exceptions tend to be very long story-driven games where no matter what they did, they were going to be... They follow a cookie-cutter pattern. I'm thinking of a lot of JRPGs where... JRPGs fall into they uh they burrow their way into your heart because if you spend 40 hours with characters regardless of their foibles you will find them endearing by the end of the game yeah. and all you need to do is do a wrap up where you run into every boss that you encountered throughout the game as basically a curtain call at the yeah. end and it, it, that's perfectly serviceable but for a game that is tight for a game that is less than 20 hours exceptionally small number of games with good endings. And to be fair, Sunless Sea and uh, Darkest Dungeon are both victims of this. I don't know if Darkest Dungeon's ending is any good. I will never know. Thankfully, I don't feel it's necessary. I mean, Thomas, you can speak to this having spoiled it for yourself. Is it worth... Uh, There's there's some reveals. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) You don't say. Yeah, no, I... But, like, I'm trying to forget what the reveals are. Um... I've actually kind of succeeded, uh, by and large. I don't quite... Here's here's what I know. Um, <laughs> uh, the Darkest Dungeon you can go into four times. Um, and uh, each time it gets progressively harder. And, like, it's far and away harder than anything that you've done in this game that is already difficult. Yeah, that's um, saying something. Yeah, and the four the four times are plotted out. The uh, uh, dungeon is not randomly generated. Um, the way it is most of the rest of the time. Everything is procedurally generated in the game. Um, yeah. Your heroes, although that doesn't tend to matter all that much, the loot, the monsters, everything. But the, the, the ending is is uh, sort of predictively Lovecraftian in the sense that, uh, uh, you know, you you forestall something. You don't... You don't, <laughs> you don't, you don't fix anything. Uh and uh you successfully stalemate yeah and i yeah i don't know how 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 much spoilers to like bring into like this thing that's uh, up to you if it's if it's valuable to discuss them i'm not going to hurt you so yeah uh, yeah no i'll 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 skip the rest it's uh i if you can get to it it seems like it's worth doing uh i i haven't yet uh i'm still working on that uh, to give you a sense i think i've dumped I think the last official tally was like 32 hours into this game. Um, and I still have some third level bosses to get rid of. Um, <laughs> yeah. And like, the thing is, is that I know for a fact that once I like actually go into the darkest dungeon, uh, I run a really serious risk of losing really valuable characters. Yeah. Um, yeah. The risk is just astronomical. I mean, they've addressed that somewhat with a patch recently. They've actually started making it 
they've started collapsing, not necessarily the levels, but the experience point totals necessary to reach those levels. But it's just, it's, it's not enough. Yeah. It's, it takes too long. Yeah. And like, that's a, but like to give you to give you a sense of like the sort of like theme and like the sort of like way that like uh, Darkest Dungeons writing uh, commends itself, uh, like for instance, and like David, you were talking about like how like one of the advantages of the of these games is that they both have narrators, um, which allows for things like uh, if one of your characters gets a critical uh, uh, gets a critical hit on them, um, what winds up uh, happening is that everybody gains stress. Um, and the way the mechanics work is that if your stress gets to a hundred, you wind up developing uh, uh, you wind up developing affliction, which winds up making it impossible for your character to do their job, and in a lot of cases, actively harmful to everyone else. Um, but if uh, if a character receives a critical hit, sometimes the narrator will say something to the effect of uh, "mortality clarified in a single strike," which kind of points to like what this game is trying to do, which is that. It's not just that you take damage. Uh, the pains of going into these places that your characters bear out are such that they change the way they think about the world, right? And like that's like the sort of like a, that's like the sort of like implication with that line is that it's not just a matter of getting hit really hard. Your constitution as an agent is being challenged. Right, your understanding of the world is being challenged in a way that most games just don't do. In most games, you get set back. You, maybe you get discouraged. Um, well, you get and- you get wounded. I mean, the game goes so far as to make getting injured itself really not that big a deal on a couple of fronts. When you get when your characters get hurt, unlike an XCOM where you can get severely wounded and you're you have to stay out for a couple of rounds or days or what have you. In Darkest Dungeon, the only thing that the only things that keep your heroes off the battlefield are stress levels, which you have to ameliorate in your Hamlet, yeah. or afflictions that they pick up. And afflictions are the closest thing to a physical detriment that the game considers to be a long-lasting malady. I mean, you pick up quirks uh, uh, as you go along. They're diseases. That's that's uh, what I meant by um, afflictions. Oh, I gotcha. used I used the wrong word. Sorry. Um, no, you get uh, you get diseases, which are most of them are really bad. But um, yeah. But the fact that the fact that the game is willing to wave away injury, even if you're on death's door. Yeah. Which, granted, being on death's door, even that isn't that horrible. I've had heroes survive a long time at zero HP because every time they're every time a hero gets down to zero HP. Uh, they get a massive amount of stress, but if they do not go crazy from that stress, they keep rolling a die to determine every time they get hit whether or not they die. And you can get lucky for a long time on that roll. Yeah, the game the game definitely like the ethos of the game definitely celebrates endurance, right? Uh, you know, for instance, like one of the one of the yeah, one of the main characters uh, that you can pick up is uh, the leper. Uh, and when he's picked up, uh, the what what is it that what is it that the narrator says? Something like, uh, uh, "This man understands that to uh, exist and endure are the same," uh, <laughs> and he's got like this massive pool of hit points, and he hits like a truck, and he's basically like this sort of like warrior monk, right? He's and very inaccurate. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> it, well. Well, he's vulnerable to bleeds and blights. Uh, like yeah. he's vulnerable to dots uh, and uh, diseases. Um, 
And but like all of his abilities, you know, they're 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 not uh, they're not described as like you know like talon strike or something like that or mighty cleave. Uh, like his main two attack abilities are uh, chop and hew, and the rest of them are things like uh, solemnity. Uh, and uh, oh God, yeah, like like Sunless Sea. This game goes out of its way where possible, where convenient at least, uh, to not give you the super generic names for everything. Yep. Most most of the classes, the things the things that they act with are not backstab and, yep. and strike, let alone attack. Um, they all, they're at least all given flavor. And that's one of those funny things. You know, indie games seem like they would be a haven for this because indie games are the place where you can worry about details like that because you're not spending your production time hiring voice actors, except for maybe the narrator. You're not spending all that time on graphics and Foley work. You get time to work on minutia and you get the cohesion of vision of only having a couple of people touching the game in the first place. Um, And most of the time, the way that manifests in indie games is with sound or is with the soundtrack because you can either contract out or if you're, you happen to be talented enough, you can sit down and bang on a keyboard until you get some really rad music going on. And indie games really upped the game of soundtracks outside of Nintendo. Like, dramatically. Yeah, Yeah. like, their soundtracks are massively better this decade than they were in previous decades. Again, discounting Nintendo, Koji Kondo, um, that that man is a master of creating atmosphere with a melody. Uh, he's responsible for Mario, Zelda, and Metroid. I accidentally reflexively included Metroid on that list. Koji Kondo was not responsible for what sound there is in Metroid. Okay, there are gotcha. a couple. There are exceptions there. I mean, there's there are a handful of people in that, but Koji Kondo is definitely the the name. He's he's at the top of the short list. But that has changed. That landscape has changed dramatically, and yeah. indie games are to blame for this because that's a really simple way to stand out in yeah. in in a space that is crowded with games that look better than yours. And what's interesting is that writing didn't follow suit yeah. in a lot of cases. Darkest well, Dungeon it did. Undertale, it did. Sunless Sea, it did. Um, well, like the, the the thing the thing with the the thing with indie games, like in terms of like the way that they try to do artistry, is like everyone seems to kind of be following like this sort of old Shadow of Colossus model, right? Uh, which is that you get further and further away and more and more abstract, uh, and like stranger and stranger. Right, like most art games lean towards not writing very much at all, uh, and like just sort of like leaning on the sort of like aesthetic minimalism. Show don't tell a yeah. lot of the time. I mean, Shadow of the Colossus has what a dozen lines in it. Yeah, like and cause... most. To be fair, most of them are from a disembodied quasi Lovecraftian presence. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, it's but they can get away with that because they have a building full of artists. Yeah, and presumably they're there for a reason, and that's that is absolutely no way to disparage Shadow of the Colossus or games yeah. like it. I mean, those those games do a hell of a lot of speaking with the pictures that they can tell, 
it's just in the indie space, it seems odd that more people don't capitalize on that. And to be fair, it could be that the willpower you need to be an independent developer doesn't lend you to being a good writer. I can absolutely believe that. I mean, given that the number of, I know a lot of illustrators and it is infuriating to be on anyone, take your pick of websites, Tumblr, DeviantArt, um, to see someone spend 40 hours in Photoshop crafting what, though it may be creatively dubious, is technically beautiful work, like yes. infallibly beautiful work, and then misspell the title. <laughs> like there's, there's the attention to detail is so specific with yeah. these people. Um, and well, I've talked to Dylan. Dylan totally... He doesn't. He doesn't understand why, but he absolutely empathizes with that problem. Yeah. Well, and like, it, like Sunless Sea in particular, and like Fail Better Games. That's the name of the company that does it. Uh, they're they're interesting actually because they kind of lay out their literary inspirations like very clearly. Uh, the guy who leads it, uh, named uh, Alex Kennedy, uh, used to be a uh, uh, coder for. I think like financial software or something to that effect. Um, yeah. Um, and he just wanted to like start making games at some point. And there's, so there's this really complicated and like deeply hidden, uh, mystery in fall in London that requires a lot of like sort of ARG stuff. Um, uh, and one of the clues in it is a quote from a book that has not been written yet uh, that uh, describes uh, uh, authors like uh, Bourget uh, and, uh, Cal and uh, Italo Calvino and uh, Cano, who I haven't read and probably mispronouncing their name, um, who are all like kind of part of like this like sort of continental slash like South American uh, like sort of like meditative uh uh romantic like sort of like school of literature that do like a lot of play with uh how humans experience time and nostalgia and space and so on and so forth uh and so i started reading these authors specifically because like those are supposed to be like lead-ins to figuring out this mystery in the game um and there are a lot of parts of like sort of like Sunless Sea that are basically pulled from Italo Calvino's uh, Invisible Cities, uh, and like that's sort of like an interesting note that this is actually part of a tradition. What a bunch uh, of cheaters! Yeah, well, I mean, like you know, like they're 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 still fairly novel because like you know, like there's there's like metaphysical weight to it in a way, uh, but like. I think that I think that might also be like sort of like an interesting like possibility when it comes to uh, indie games uh, and indie game writing is that a lot of these people do not read uh, like these like really sort of like intense tone heavy books. Sure. Uh, and like that's that's another possibility because like everybody listens to music by and large. Uh, so like, you know, people wind up like sort of sitting with it and developing a mastery with it. It's possible that like these other like, uh, indie game developers are just not reading terribly seriously. Yeah. I, that's, that's definitely, it's also, 
it's also specifically having those kinds of inspirations. I mean, when we're yeah. talking about video games, there are a lot of there are a lot of artists you can be inspired by. There are a lot of soundtracks you can be inspired. There yeah. isn't a lot of writing to be inspired by. I yeah. just across maybe a couple of earlier, maybe a couple of earlier. I was going to say interplay Black Isle games. Yeah, you know, uh, Planescape and Baldur's Gate. They have some good lines in them. At least the second Baldur's Gate does. But, I actually I picked up Planescape Torment and I started reading and like the way that the writers will just describe a, a zombie that you encounter who has like something like carved into their skull. It's not like beautiful or heartbreaking necessarily, but like there is a technical proficiency there. It's good. That, yeah, I I did not like looking looking at it now as an adult rather than like however old I was probably like 11 or so when I played it. Uh like it's like playing a Dungeons and Dragons game with a damn fine DM. And yeah, well, that's not an experience that you get in other places. Yeah, and it's it's largely as a result, again, I think in the same way that I would have expected Indy to pick up the slack here, and maybe that's what it took, is that Black Isle recognized that despite how, I mean, there there are some really good set pieces in the old Black Isle games. Like yeah. the Infinity Engine, though, despite its massive technical limitations, they got some very, very good-looking two-dimensional art but that's not enough. Like that's not yeah. enough to actually show, not tell. So they hired actual writers to do that work, and they had a singularity of vision and realized that the flavor wasn't coming from the graphics. It had to come from the text. And indie games are in a position to relearn that strategy, and they have not taken advantage of it yet. To be fair, I think they will start as teams start to get large enough that you can justify that. I mean, there there are games that have good writing in them, not on the level of Sunless Sea for the most part, but games like Bastion, the yeah. story and the rhetoric in Bastion is very good, but that's a four-person team. That's not a one-person team. They, I don't know if they have a dedicated writer on that staff. I don't think so. That would be kind of a waste of one of four for putting a video game together, but as indie games get from being one to two person teams up to the four to 10 range, and they start building back into the double A space that we kind of lost in the previous generation, I think writing in games is going to improve drastically because you can only do so. I, I mean, I guess that's, that's being a little unfair to the unity engine. We can now do some pretty beautiful stuff with relatively few people, but it's still better to have good dialogue back that up where you can. And you yeah. have the, when you have the resources to do it, you ought to. And I think games will start to do that. Uh, there's a game coming out very, very soon, actually. Uh, maybe out already. Firewatch is promising that. Um, I haven't heard of it, actually. What is it? Um, that's a great question. Um, <laughs> I don't actually know. That's actually a ah. joke about that game. So gotcha. stay tuned to find out. But no, uh, there's that game... Seems like it's going to be in this vein where it's it's just very they they clearly spent resources making the game talk right, and that is that's tremendously valuable because um, yeah. there's so many ways to screw that up, and even AAA titles screw this up all the time. Not oh, yeah, and not merely in writing, but even sometimes in acting, they don't yeah. even get it right. Well, no, I mean, like that's uh, uh, again, like that's that's one of the that's one of the reasons why like like solid writing in games is so interesting uh, is that uh, you know with indie games, like you know they they generally have an aesthetic vision that is 
a little unique. It's a little considered, or in a lot of cases, very considered, right? You know, like like there, like there are a lot of like sort of like dedicated game artists putting this stuff together. Um, but with like triple A games, like it, it is, you know, I don't play a lot of them these days because they're they're expensive and they take up a lot of space. I haven't um, recently because most of them have been bad by comparison. Yeah. <laughs> the indie games last year, I 2015, was unbelievable as far as that's concerned. But that's a digress. 2016 will be even better. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, like, but like there uh, again, like this is where I'm drawing like a lot of that sort of like relying on the plot to tell the story uh, problem. Uh, is that even with games like Mass Effect and Dragon Age, and Dragon Age Inquisition is much worse than Dragon Age 2 uh, in, in this respect. And I, I think a lot of it's because they tried raising the stakes. Which is a contentious uh, opinion. A lot of people disagree on Dragon Age 2. But from the sounds of it, from what wrong. you've talked Dragon Age 2 is like the best version of Dragon Age. Well, uh, but it's funny why you think that, because it eschews this idea that gameplay is king. Because most oh, yeah. of the complaint about Dragon Age 2 is that it's not fun to play. That's, I, sort of. No, not really. Uh, like, it, it's as fun to play as any other RPG, really. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I mean, like, one, well, Dragon Age Inquisition is actually, like, a lot worse because they shortened, they, there's a whole bunch of things wrong with Dragon Age Inquisition. It's basically an MMO with, like, a decent plot. Um, What's wrong uh, with that? This sounds awesome. It, yeah, except for the grinding, uh, and also like, it's possible that my critique of Dragon Age Two, having not played Dragon Age One, Two, or Inquisition, um, I vaguely remember that being it. I know that people don't like Dragon Age Two as much as Origins. Uh, yeah. so my reasoning might be wrong, but your your opinion of Dragon Age Two is contentious. Yeah, I, I, I believe. Should I explicate it or? Uh, if you wanted. Uh, defend, yeah. defend your reasoning on two versus origins. Sure, real quick. Okay, so the reason why Dragon Age Two is the best game is because you're actually you're 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 kind of not the hero uh, in the game. Um, uh, the stories involve things like trying to find like a nice place for your mother to stay, uh, dealing with your uncle who's just like the worst deadbeat possible, um, and. The plot line is such that you don't get to determine it. You're rather just involved. Um, the game takes place over the course of nine years with a handful of time skips. Um, and so when you look back at it, it is this tapestry of basically this really dark uh, decade in uh, Kirkwall's history, the city-state where, where all this is set. Um Rather than like this sort of cheesy globe trotting so on and so forth, like you're an incredibly important person in Kirkwall, mostly as an icon without like having like a whole lot of power. But like in the final, like in the final, like sort of like conflict, you don't really get to say how it comes out. Uh, you get to have an influence on some of the specifics of it, but it's beyond your control. And what that allows for is like telling a much more sort of interesting story that doesn't get cleaned up, um, and yeah, and like the fact that they like wind up like reusing uh, maps, which is like the sort of like main criticism of the game, uh, is actually one of the things I really like about it because basically it just winds up making it so that you feel like uh, you feel like you've been in the same city for nine years. Uh, and like the locations start blurring together. Um, okay. 
Yeah. Which, so that, which of your Mass Effects, which of the Mass Effects was your favorite? Uh, probably two. Okay, so you, you align with most people on that at least. Yeah, uh, I thought the ending for Mass Effect 3 was actually not as bad as people say it was. Um, uh, I, I think I it was a little bit of a clumsy execution, but like the, the idea that it came out of left field is bullshit. Well, um, the the opinion on three is pretty split. Yeah, I, I think there was a lot. Of, I think there was a lot of uproar that that seemed like a vocal minority issue. I was just curious if one or two was going to be preferable for you. Yeah, well, I mean, Mass, Mass Effect Two is uh, probably my favorite just because like it allows for you to see like a lot more places. There's a, a broader cast of characters, uh, and it's not being strangled by uh, its precedent. Um, like in in the same way that Mass Effect Three winds up in a lot of cases being continuity porn, um, which is unpleasant. Well, it's, uh, part of, it's part of the diamond. Yeah. you have to you have to bring everything back home, and that's always that's always a chore. But again, video yep. game endings suck. So why would you expect anything else? Yeah. The, uh, do you remember the ending for Baldur's Gate Two, by the way? I do. It's one of the worst endings you, in the game. <laughs> You just show up in like this weird place and you fight the bad guy after like wandering through this besieged city that you've never been to and do not understand the importance of. And, right then, the and then just to cap it off, it, John Irenicus, who is mm-hmm. one of my still one of my favorite villains in a video game. Largely because he actually just lies to you. And uh-huh. and just he's fantastic through the whole thing. He's got great lines, like him invading your dreams. All yep. that stuff was masterfully done. Yeah. And then the ending cutscene looks like they put it together in four minutes. Yeah. Yeah. The it's, game's better without it. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I like I enjoyed it a lot as a kid, but like looking back on it, it doesn't make any damn sense. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. So but it's like, just bad. I, they just didn't know what to do with it. Yeah, but like that—that's the—that's but like that's like the sort of like the sort of like thing that like seems to like occur fairly frequently is why why is it that it had to end this way? Well it had to end this way because it had to end in a big fight. Yeah, it needed an ultimatum and that yeah. it, it doesn't need an ultimatum. Like that's not a requirement. This is yeah. this is the aftermath problem that a lot of and a lot of superhero movies just kind of gloss over this by saying it's the cost of doing business, but that's such a shitty answer. Like I I want I, I don't know what I necessarily want, because if I knew what I wanted, I wouldn't need other people to write the stories. Yeah. Um, and to be fair, I'm not the guy who likes the moral choices in games. I want uh, or to, like, make my own story. I, I want storytellers to tell me a good story. I don't want to craft it myself. I'll I'll throw in bits and pieces. I'll I'll fill in the blanks, but I want them to do most of that work. That's what I'm paying them for. Well, that's actually one of the interesting things about Darkest Dungeon, though, is that like the story is largely emergent. Uh, like, I think a lot of the the strengths in Darkest Dungeon's writing comes from uh, the abilities. Uh, oh like, yeah, well, probably you... even more so than like the actual parts of actual story that you hear. Oh well, uh, absolutely, because those end up just being flavor. They're very good flavor, but what yeah. you talk about, you don't talk about the story beats in Darkest Dungeon. You talk about the teams you send in. Like, that's yeah. the story, and in well, that way, you're building it. But that's the kind of details that I'm okay filling in. Right. 
But I would go, I would go further and say that like they're actually like a bunch of like little like the the way the abilities are designed specifically with like camping, right? You're not even reading a story into that necessarily. Like a lot of the abilities are just stories. Like for instance, uh, the you know the the leper has uh, that uh, has one one of their camping abilities is quarantine. Uh, right, and and the the image is the, is is the leper like sort of looking over its shoulder or his shoulder like uh, as he's like kind of like walking away sort of, uh, and the effect of it is that he takes twenty percent of his health and damage, and everybody's stress goes down by like twenty. Yeah, like that, like that single ability tells this really tragic story. Uh, that like, even though this guy has been through dungeon after dungeon after dungeon with these people, uh, and even though he's proven himself like valorous and valuable and like the fact that like almost all of his abilities stem from his rectitude and endurance, they still feel better when he's gone. (laughs) Like there, there are a bunch of like little stories like that that wind up being like really that wind up being stories that like most other games would not tell. There isn't really like, from what I can remember an equivalent to that in say dragon age, uh, where you have like, you know, like whatever the equivalent of leprosy is where the character like has the opportunity to take it upon himself, uh, to facilitate someone's bigotry in the name of the greater good. I am willing to bet that is in The Witcher 3. Oh, yeah, probably. I, I would, I'd be willing to bet that shows up in The Witcher 3, given the way The Witcher 2 plays out. Um, I mean, for the record, if it sounds like I hate RPGs of all kinds at this point um, in the modern mold, I really liked Witcher 2. I haven't played 3 because I just I don't have the time right now. Should but, I play Witcher 2, by the way? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Cool, it's I very, tried... very hard up front. Just don't be discouraged by that. Gotcha. I tried playing Witcher One, and I, I didn't like Witcher One. I, I stopped. It was yeah. I liked Witcher Two substantially better. Um, but uh, no, I the other the other example. And granted, if it sounds like we're Thomas was reading into this quite a bit with the quarantine thing, that's fine. Like you're allowed to do that. This is part yeah. of filling in the blanks. This is the the author is dead. It's okay. Yeah. Do not do not be afraid of overinterpretation of this kind because it makes the game more fun. I mean, the abomination is another great example of this. Yeah. The abomination has more restrictions on the way that they behave than any other class. Like holy people won't go out with them. Mm-hmm. The uh, their half of their abilities are locked behind them turning into a monster, which yeah. stresses out all the other characters. Like so, there's this narrative that's built around the abomination where he is powerful, but even in this crew that is fighting horrors, they just don't want a horror walking around with them. Yeah. Like that's, that's not something that's not an extra bit of stress they want to deal with. And abominations even cause stress in each other. Yeah. No, <laughs> no, 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 there, there, there's, there's a, there's like a deep, like sort of like self-loathing, like the fact that the abominations are still carrying around their chains. Yeah. Right. Uh, and like, you know, like in the backstory, like one of the supplementary comics, like, you know, it shows the abomination, like tied up and being branded with the A that's on their forehead, uh, for adultery, (laughs) but like, you know, and like, like the, the trinkets you can get for abominations are all chains and padlocks, 
uh, of different virtues. Like the like the padlock of restraint or something like that makes it so that other characters don't get as stressed out. Uh, they still get stressed out. They don't get as stressed out. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, and the other, the other, like, uh, one of the other, like, really solid examples of this is the uh, the jester, right? Uh, like, the jester, when you first pick him up, like, a lot of times you don't quite know what to do with him because he's got a bunch of, like, weird abilities that, like, you know, like, throw him from the front of your party to the back of your party, so on and so forth. To be but, fair, still found it pretty hard to play with him even after 16 hours. He's yeah, kind of hard to fit into a party. He, he he stacks on bleeds and he buffs people who are better at doing whatever it is that uh, he would be doing otherwise. Um, but his camping abilities uh, are really what makes him valuable. Um, like, uh, he, he just has, like, sort of a selection of songs that he can play. Uh, and they're all based off of, like, actual songs. Yeah, uh, actual quite anachronistic songs. Yeah, uh, and like that's, but like it, it's it's interesting because like you know like, you know it's a role playing game where there's a character who is valuable simply because he's good at staving off despair, um, and like this is like sort of like one of my go to examples of why the writing in Darkest Dungeon matters. Uh, when you tell him to play, every rose has its thorns, uh, which reduces everyone's stress by like a remarkably large amount. Yeah. Um, what he says is, listen here, uh, every dark has its dawn, dot, dot, dot. Um, and as like sort of an illustration of like how solid this writing is compared to like what you're used to with an RPG, think about how that would sound if listen here wasn't at the beginning of it. Those two words do so much work because basically like what it's communicating is, hey, I know this is awful. But don't pay attention to the dark woods around us. Just listen. Listen to me play this. Like, li- like, ignore everything else. Yeah. Everything's going to be okay. Uh, yeah, it's not just him breaking into song. It yeah. makes it seem like he's doing it on purpose. Yeah, he, he understands what his job is. Yeah. Uh, and, like, that's... That is a really important like part of darkest dungeon uh that yeah again it's it's sloggy uh and like the story itself is like it's good because it's a comedy of errors and is basically just your ancestor fucking up and then asking for you to fix things but like the real like strength of darkest dungeon uh is the fact that it handles the stresses of going into this not just as a mechanic, but as an actual serious important thing, uh, where like all of the skills that like actually get us through day to day life, like and like the slog and so on and so forth. The fact that one of your coworkers is funny uh, and is funny in a way that reveals how awful your job is, right? Or one of your roommates is funny in a way that reveals how awful your poverty is uh, and can make light of it. It treats those things as though they're critically important. And I think that does something like in relation to the human experience that's much more valuable. I mean, like a lot of parts of Darkest Dungeon like seem to mirror like the stories that you hear from soldiers in World War One. Right. You know, the the German soldier who uh, sings so beautifully that uh, that one day he gets a cold 
And the German soldiers in their trench get a radio from the Russian soldiers saying, what happened to your singer? <laughs> like, what, what's wrong? <laughs> I mean, for what it's worth, the uh, Darkest Dungeon being the far more Lovecraftian of the two, that time period works out quite well. So that yeah. is quite faithful to the inspiration in World War One. If you have not listened to Blueprint of Armageddon, or Blueprints for Armageddon by Dan Carlin, and you have 30 hours and a lot of, uh, and a lot less stress in your life than you should. Um, World War One, uh, there's a hell of a thing going on. And ironically, uh, even though I contrasted H.P. Lovecraft by comparing him to uh, Tolkien, they were both highly inspired yeah. by World War One, by the uh, the moon, <laughs> the moon-like atmosphere on bombarded planes and men losing their minds and all that stuff inspired the entire world of fantasy we have today that got built on from that point. Also, if yeah, you need actually, to know why modernism is what it is, it's, it's world war one. Probably pretty yeah, much in a about, nutshell. I mean, yeah. world war two had the most black and white good versus evil trope imaginable. And it did not undo the damage culturally, psychologically, of World War One. Yeah, I mean, it, it gave us first-person shooters, basically. I think, like, <laughs> like if it weren't for World, if it weren't for World War Two, uh, the idea of a game where you specifically seek out people and kill them, yeah, and that's the entirety of the game. Yeah. that would be appalling. <laughs> I think <laughs> we would not have the stomach for it. Yeah. Um, uh. and yeah, and like that's a. Yeah, and I, I think, I think, uh, I think, uh, like, uh, Darkest Dungeon at the very least, like, that's really the thing that it brings to the table is that you, you don't get to be, uh, the hero, uh, who breaks down the concentration camps. Yeah, you're not Baker Company. Yeah, you're, you're, you're just a soldier in the trenches. Uh, or worse, you're or, a wealthy man the who's Warren. sending people to death. Like, was the Warrens the wield? The cove and the uh, the ruins. Yeah. Are the four places you can go. Yeah. Uh, Each with varying levels of blight resistance. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. So both both of these games are uh, phenomenal. Uh, Sunless Sea is great if you want to play a game that encourages you to find mystery and wonder in everything. Uh, and a lot of the puzzles in the game can be solved just by knowing things about the story um, and about the setting. Um, and even if you don't know them, you don't you don't have to pay quite that much attention all the time uh, to know where to go. The game the game's not all that cryptic. Yeah, you can you can keep going. Although if you have to choose between the two, and you're not sure how uh, light a touch you're going to put on either game, I would recommend Darkest Dungeon first because it is more of a video game. Just feel yeah. feel free to put it down when you're satisfied. Don't well, feel the need to play all the way through it. Yeah. I, just play Fallen London, actually. Uh, <laughs> if, if you're going to play Sunless Sea, uh, play Fallen London. See uh, see how the uh, how the language uh, like works for you. Uh, it's... Oh, by the way, we've gone this entire podcast without saying that uh, it's set in Victorian London, specifically. Um, yeah, it's pretty steampunk on London's side. Sort of. Uh, you're you're piloting a very steampunk vessel in that game. Oh, yeah, that's true, actually. Uh, 
Yeah. So yeah, it's a it's a it, it's Victorian London specifically. But if you go if uh, if you try your hand at Fall in London, uh, it's not much of a game um, by and large. <laughs> uh, it, it's a it, it's a it's a free to play like sort of like energy based like kind of thing uh, where you just follow storylets and you make decisions and you build up abilities and a massive inventory of secrets and mushroom wine and uh, curiosities and so on and so forth. Um, and gossip. We build up a lot of gossip. Yeah. Uh, Can you and, have more uh, than one recent news in that game? Uh, there's no such thing as recent news. Uh, oh. there, are, there are intriguing snippets. Um, I, like, I like recent news because you can only have one and you have to decide who to give it to. Oh, well, that that's still the case. Uh, like I had a, like uh, I have a primeval hint. I don't know what to do with it. Um, <laughs> a primeval uh, hint. Yeah. Oh, and I've got seven Syrian enigmas. Um, Ooh. But yeah, uh, and uh, seven identity uncovered, or an identity uncovered uh, exclamation point. Uh, so yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, Darkest Dungeon, probably a bit more reliable uh, in terms of, like, getting your money's worth, but... Uh, it's it's if, just more approachable in general. Yeah, but... Some it is hard, but you can... It, you'll understand it if you've played video games before. Yeah. Sunless Sea, you may... Buyer beware, it is much, much more about the writing. Yeah, think of, think about it as, as uh, sitting down uh, with a book uh, that uh, is... Think about it as sitting down with a very complicated choose-your-own-adventure game. Yeah, that's what uh, I was going to say. It's it's basically a lightly animated choose-your-own-adventure book. Yeah. Uh, and uh, don't get into fights. Just just don't. The game's so much better if you don't get into fights until you have to. and then. Or you get a big fuck-off engine, and then you can strafe people. Yeah. Uh, yeah, also, Vale's probably the most important stat for getting along. Um just about because uh, it lets you stay out of combat. Yeah, because it lets you stay out of combat. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, can we say actual garbage recommends both of these games or something? Oh though? yeah, no. Yeah, this has the consumption log thumb of approval, no doubt on both sides. Well, Thomas, do you have any closing thoughts on either of these games you haven't uh, you haven't brought out? No, I mean, I think I think that's I, I've I've communicated it as well as I can in this setting, I guess. Yeah. Uh, again, it's Sunless Sea is the most beautiful game I've played. Uh, Undertale kind of throws a wrench in that, but like I think at the end of the day, like there, Sunless Sea resonates with all of the things that I care about in a way that is quite remarkable. Um, so yeah. Uh, I recommend Sunless Sea. I recommend Darkest Dungeon. Um, and uh, don't don't sleep with mirrors in your room, kids. You don't know what's going on with them. And with that, Thomas, thanks for joining. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. And thanks, everybody else. This is David Paddock signing off. Thanks for listening. <laughs>